大家晚上好，这里是正在为您。Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Fridges, washing machines, cars, soybeans, pork, rice, handbags, steel, railway equipment—the list of products that are affected by the Chinese-American trade war goes on and on. The trade dispute hits China at a particularly bad time. The country is struggling with slowing growth and mounting debt, and the worst is yet to come because Washington threatens to tighten the screw and increase its punitive tariffs early next year. So, how badly could the trade war affect the Chinese economy, and what will it take to ease tensions? And what about Europe? Will European companies benefit from increasing trade with China, or suffer because their own supply chains and overseas factories are caught up in the trade war? Hello, I'm Ruth Kirchner. In this episode of the Merix Experts podcast, I'm looking for answers to these questions. My guest is Alicia Garcia Herrero, who is based in Hong Kong. She is the chief economist for Asia Pacific at the French investment bank Natixis, and she's also a senior fellow at Bruegel, a European think tank that focuses on economics. Welcome, Alicia. Thanks for joining me. First of all, let's take stock. Where are we in the trade war? In the middle of the battle, near the end game, or close to a sort of temporary ceasefire? We're just at the beginning because we've only seen the trade measures being taken. Not all of them fully applied. The 200 billion import tariffs from the U.S., which were retaliated with only 60 billion from China's side, have not yet been fully implemented, as you rightly pointed out before. It will only happen on the 1st of January 2019, full-fledged, all the way to 25% tariffs, if there is no deal in Buenos Aires. Will there be a deal? To me, there will be probably a delay in the full imposition of tariffs and probably the U.S. at least announcing that they won't go full-fledged to all imports from China, which is what we were all expecting before this uh, supposed truth coming forward, which we're not yet sure about. But I do think it will bring something like a truth. And why that truth? Simply because it's really not in the interest of the U.S., to impose tariffs on all products from China. And this is particularly the case because the products that have been exempted from the 200 billion, let alone the previous 50 billion, are all products that are essential for the value chain, in particular the electronics value chain for basically the largest manufacturers in the US, especially Apple, to be able to complete their products. And it would have an enormous impact on inflation in the U.S. So this is why I think it's actually in the interest of Trump not to threaten China with additional tariffs and perhaps even stop at the current 15% level of tariffs for the 200 billion, which means that we'll have a truce. But this truce means nothing. This is why I'm saying we are at the beginning of a trade war, if not a full-fledged economic cold war. You already mentioned the Buenos Aires meeting. That is, of course, the G20 summit um, in Argentina at uh, the end of the month, where Trump and Xi Jinping are expected to meet face to face. Now, you said um, at that meeting there could be some sort of truce, but I mean, um, really, it does take more than a dinner meeting to ease tensions. What uh, what would have China to do to actually convince Trump, convince the US to take a slightly less aggressive approach towards China? For me, the word truce means 
wait and see. Yeah, it doesn't mean a deal. That's what I'm expecting. And there's a very easy way to do this. It's just simply acknowledging that China needs time to go through the issues that were listed in this famous surrender letter that the U.S. offered to China, especially those that require structural reforms. And you can think of the reform of state-owned enterprises in China. So I think Trump could indeed use this proposal for a truce to say, I realize that we're asking a lot from China in terms of structural reforms, so we're giving you some time to do that. And that would be in the interest of both of the U.S., and in a way, China, because without changing the general environment of a Cold War, it's just retreating to discuss or to react with something else. So, so what you're saying is that uh, Trump and the US could actually ease their position on China a bit and uh, signal some understanding. But on the Chinese part, what do they have to do? I mean, we've heard Xi Jinping talk a lot about reform. He just recently at a trade fair in Shanghai mm -hmm. talked about um, increasing imports from abroad. Yeah. But what in particular would China have to do to really signal that it's willing to compromise? I think, again, China doesn't need to do much for Trump to announce this truce because it's all about Trump basically gaining time for itself, meaning gaining time for its own companies. What China will do with this time is self-reliance. They've already told us. So these truths will be used differently. The U.S. will avoid inflationary pressures on its economy because it would have to impose additional tariffs on goods that it has no interest in imposing tariffs upon and will tell the world I'm giving China time to reform. What China's going to do with that time is to make sure it doesn't need the U.S. Okay, which brings us to the question what this trade war is really all about. What is behind the tough American approach vis-a-vis -vis China? Do they want to force China to open their markets? Or is this really about containing China's economic development and expansion? By all means, the latter, to me. Rightly so, meaning... This is not a judgment or a value proposition. It's just that I can fully understand that if you are the hegemon, you not like anybody else to become the hegemon. It's like the nature of things. Yeah, it's, this is human nature. It's kind of a such a simple idea. Yeah, to expect the U.S. to stop China from becoming the U.S. I, I just can't think of anything as natural as that. Now, the way the U.S. is approaching this objective is what. Many of us have been criticizing as something that could backfire in the sense that the U.S. is containing China by using its economic force, its unilateralism. And that is where China can actually realize that if the U.S. uses unilateralism, China could take its place in the world as a defender of multilateralism. Not that everybody believes that China has such nature, but at least China can give it a try because the U.S. is leaving that space for China to try it out. So that containment, so going back to the containment idea, I think the U.S. wants even more than containment to really put in China at the mercy of the U.S., meaning bringing China to not only play by the rules of the game, because that, of course, that would be this idea of multilateralism. No, making China play by the rules of the game, that would make China depend on the U.S., so how can the U.S. strangle China? What is the one and only, and this is not energy, export 
from the US that can strangle China. This is semiconductors, by all means. China imports more semiconductors than oil. And mostly at the highest end of the spectrum from the US. But strangling China, as you say, or containing it in that, especially in that area, wouldn't really help the US because, I mean, those uh, phones that then are assembled or the computers that are assembled mm. in China are then sort of shipped back to the US and sold to, to, to American consumers. So by containing China, yeah. America would head its own market, its, its own consumers. Temporarily. I mean, I think the US has come to a point where the benefit of its own consumers is killing its own hegemony. So, you know, it's a question of order of importance. I think the U.S. administration has realized that it can't go on relying, i.e. depending on China as a sourcing market. If one looks at the 200 billion bill, i.e. the import tariffs on this massive amount of products, a lot are actually intermediate products feeding the U.S. into their value chain. In some cases, and there was this painkiller. Ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. 90% produced in China. So basically, we have products, and there are many products like this, that are literally produced only in China. Not that they're not replicable. They are fully replicable. But it so happens that it's become so cheap and so convenient to produce out of China that we don't care about concentration of risk, logistical risk. So we're becoming too dependent on China. That's right. And I think the U.S. has realized that, let's say, China closes its market. We're not producing that specific product anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So this is a big problem for the U.S. that I think the U.S. is trying to address by containing China, trying to depend less on China and realizing that it has the upper hand because it, still, maybe not for very long, remains at the higher part of value chain. So China depends on the U.S. for the higher part of value chain. The U.S. depends on China for the lower end, for its intermediate products. Let's cut that out. Let's move elsewhere. It will be temporarily costly, to your point, but not permanently costly. Yeah. So there will be a sunk cost, what we call economic sunk cost. You move your production. So FDI, which is now in China, so all of these German companies producing perhaps in Vietnam, like Samsung did already in 2008, why not others? So I think the U.S. is trying to find other places. Mexico, this explains NAFTA. Vietnam, you can think of Thailand, the Philippines, places where the U.S. can produce depending so much less from China's sourcing. So to bring us back to the G20 summit then and that uh, possible meeting between Trump and Xi Jinping, whatever they agree at that meeting or before or mm. shortly afterwards, that would only be the truce you have been referring yeah. to earlier on mm. because the fundamental question is so much bigger. Of course. The truce comes from the fact that both need time. The US needs time to reshore. China needs time for re self-reliance. So we already can tell that this is only a truce because the ultimate objective is still... For once, depend less on the U.S., for the other, depend less on China. So it's, it's, it's just a truth. It can't be anything else, because they are strategic competitors. This is Merrick's Experts. My guest today is the economist Alicia Garcia Herrero. We are discussing trade relations between China and the U.S. 
Now, Alicia, let's uh, look at um, the part in between, so to speak, the Europeans. Um, what are the effects of this Sino-American trade war or the trade tensions on Europe and European companies? Well, we could certainly benefit. And I know this looks like a strange answer because most people are focusing on how terrible, terrible a trade war could be for an exporting part of the world, the largest by all means, which is Europe. And so the idea being that if trade is reduced, if you're a net exporter, you're always harmed. And I think this idea may be true in general, but not necessarily sector by sector. You could always say that any bilateral tariff has space for somebody else. Okay, then let's look at some examples where, let's say, European companies could benefit. So which are the sectors for whom this might be beneficial? To answer that question, we need to look at where the tariffs, import tariffs, have been imposed upon. So from the US side towards China, there is clearly less sectors which we could compete with. In other words, it's harder for Europe to compete with China in the US market because our trade is not so similar to China's exports to the US. Let me give you an example, furniture. China exports humongous amounts of furniture to the US, but we do no longer produce so much furniture. Maybe once upon a time, Italy could compete with China, but because those times are gone, because China became so competitive in that sector, Italy can no longer benefit from these import tariffs on China. However, we can certainly benefit from competing with the US on China, on China's market. So automobiles, for example, aircraft industry. Although, to be frank, China has been clever enough not to impose in the very final list import tariffs upon aircraft and aerospace in the, in the last 50 billion bill that was approved exactly because it didn't want to pay more for something it needed. Airbus can never produce enough to substitute the whole of the Boeing, imports from Boeing. But still, there's always some gain to be made because China will probably reduce its orders from Boeing as a retaliation tool. So you're talking cars, you're talking aircraft, maybe medical products, yeah. maybe chemicals. But then in a globalized economy, European manufacturers might have factories either in the US or yeah. probably more likely in China. So the tariffs would actually then affect them indirectly because yeah. they're shipping goods to either country. So it's not just beneficial, but there, there are also huge costs for European companies, aren't there? Indeed. And in fact, we've seen some German companies, including Mercedes-Benz, basically announcing revisions of profits at the very beginning of the trade war. But frankly speaking, when one looks at the European uh, value chain, it's much more centralized than the US. So again, in relative terms, we still could benefit because we have a European level production chain, which the Americans share with either Mexico or China, and China shares with the rest of Asia and the US, meaning our European economy is still, compared to the other two larger economies in the world, more isolated. So this is why I'm saying that it always in relative terms, we could benefit. But there is a big if here. What is the if? The if is that we should not be seen by any of the two parts, and especially the US, because that's our transatlantic alliance, as beneficiaries. And that's very hard because we're too big not to be seen. The point is that somebody is seeing this, meaning our big brother, 
And this means that as we move on, we will be kindly reminded that we have an alliance. And this is why I'm saying the benefits are there to be made, but they will not be achieved unless Europe has a coherent policy by which it says, you know, I'm an independent body, basically. Are we there? Not really. But I would argue that we should raise the price of not being independent, meaning we Europeans need to ask for something. I mean, we just can't possibly give up those gains that I were discussing, either for our automobile industry, our aircraft industry, you mentioned uh, rightly so, pharmaceutical, etc., chemical industry, without any price. That is what we can't do. It's either or. We need to ask for something or get the, those gains that are out there. That, to me, should be the trade policy of the European Commission as the U.S. for something. A renewed TTIP, you name it. Something that pays for the cost that we're giving up on China. So uh, the, the Europeans should ask for something. Now, uh, finally, then let's turn to China itself. The, the full effect of the tariffs uh, are not yet being felt, but um, how hard can the American tariffs hit China's economy? I would argue that the direct effects are not yet being felt. Not that exports are not coming down. They are. The trade surplus is coming down, but it's more of a structural issue than a tariff-related issue. The whole Chinese economy is decelerating. And we see that, of course, um, GDP data, but more importantly, on anything that is forward-looking, meaning expectations. And, and this is especially true for the private sector. So what we see is that Chinese, and this has nothing to do with the rest of the world, this is Chinese companies, especially private companies, not being willing to invest because their future is bleak or at least uncertain. And this is what is bringing down growth in China. But still, the economy still grows at like 6.5%. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, that, that's hardly, I mean, that's not really slow, yeah. isn't it? It's still, it's still very healthy growth, isn't it? Yes, but it, a lot of this growth is artificial. What I mean by artificial is that China has injected uh, or at least freed about 1.1 trillion US dollar in tax cuts this year, which is massive, as massive as the U.S., even bigger than the U.S. Uh, corporate tax reform, injected the, the, the Central Bank, People's Bank of China, massive liquidity in the system. So that growth we see would not have been there at that level without this stimulus. And how long can you continue to push? So my take here is that they will continue to push because they know that if that number becomes lower as we speak, the confidence effect will be so detrimental. So it's like a vicious circle. But that means that this trade war with the US comes at a rather unfortunate time for China, yes. right? Well, there's no fortunate time for a trade war if you are a massive exporter. Second, there's no fortunate time for a country that has capital controls because the fact that China has massive capital controls on outflow, especially since 2015, means that the level of trust is low. Otherwise, why would you stop people from moving capital out of your country? Yeah, but does it mean that the terrorists in the end could hurt Indeed. the Chinese economy really, really badly? Indeed. Indeed. More than the tariffs, the meaning, the reading of those tariffs, the fact that the US is containing China. 
gosh, if the U.S. tries to contain us, are we ready to respond successfully? And even if we were to win that battle, are we ready to take the baton? So when you say, are we ready to take the baton, you mean that uh, China would, in the end, um, be more self-reliant, less less reliant on certain imports from the U.S. or certain components take, from the U.S.? Take the baton is all the way to hegemony. That's what I mean. Because th th these are the phases, the way I understand the Chinese mind, or, you know, as much as I can, in this trade war. Why are they so hesitant? First, because they may truly believe that they don't have enough retaliation tools. They look at how many more tariffs they can impose. I mean, it's very obvious to realize that they don't import as much from the U.S. But even when they think of other retaliation methods, they, they, they seem to think they may backfire. For example, depreciation of the renminbi, yeah, that will foster additional capital outflows, etc. Yes, they may say, okay, but we, we still have a lot of fiscal space. We can grow as they're doing, yeah, artificially. But they also know that they're very leveraged, so there's a limit to what they can do. So... The first hesitation is about their ability to retaliate. But the ultimate hesitation, which is the most important one, is imagine we're successful with our retaliation. Are we ready to lead the world? This is the key issue that they probably disagree with their government in as far as that readiness. And I think that is so powerful because it means they don't really want to win this battle. They don't think... Not forever, but not now. I mean, maybe in 20 years' time when they are indeed a more developed economy and they're more, not only self-reliant, but that they believe in their model much more than they do today, then maybe they could lead the world. So this brings me to the final idea that I, I think this trade war, you're absolutely right, comes at a bad time for China for many, many reasons. But the ultimate reason is not so much how weak the economy may be, it's that they're not yet ready to lead. They, they feel they have so many more things to learn in terms of how they deal with the world. For example, all of the backlash that is coming from the Belt and Road Initiative and their investments is really frightening them because they realize, oh gosh, we thought this would work and it's not really working. So this brings this very, very important idea of isn't it too early to have challenged the US so a lot of insecurity and uncertainties and actually little hope that a candlelight dinner in Argentina can lead to a lasting peace in the Chinese American trade war Alicia thanks a lot for your analysis and insights that was the economist Alicia Garcia Herrero of the Hong Kong based French investment bank Natixis I'm Ruth Kirchner thanks for listening and join me again soon you have been listening to Merrick's experts the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.